0: It's wonderful being back in the saddle again here. I was I didn't preach for the last three weeks. Um, there were like crazy incidences at work happening. So um, I thank I thank Pastor M- Pastor Ujin and Pastor Mike for preaching in the last three weeks. But um, I'm really glad to be here to preach. So um, a lot of things happened since I last preached, right? Um, we supposedly got a new president, right? Um, it's just chaos and there is a sense of elation that comes when we got a, because we got a new president, and people are celebrating the end of one corrupt kingdom, and they're celebrating the beginning of a new kingdom, right? And so the, so since the election, and especially because I'm doing my quiet time on the historical books of the Old Testament, um, the kingdom of God is, is kind of on my mind. If you, one of the main themes of the Bible is God constructing His kingdom in this world. If the very overview of the Bible is about the construction of the kingdom of God in this world. In the Old Testament, right, God construct His local kingdom through the, through the nation of Israel. God created Israel, God through, you know, through Abraham. And God set a, set a geographical location for his people, which is in the land of Canaan. And a lot of the Old Testament, it's historical books of the Old Testament, is about God constructing his local kingdom through Israel in this world. He does it by going to war with all the nations that occupied God's promised land. And God through, you know, um, through Joshua, through the judges, through the kings, um, God construct his nation in Israel. But that local nation of Israel is just a foreshadowing of the greater, like of, of the greater nation that he's going to establish in this world. The, the purpose that Jesus has come into the world, the reason Jesus came into the world, did his work, did his um, saving work, is so that the kingdom of God will be established here on earth. The moment Jesus arrived, the kingdom of God, the more expansive kingdom of God, started to, started to occur in this world. And even now, the kingdom of God is being expanded in this world. Christians are kingdom workers, which means king, Christians. God has called to be part of the expanding work of his kingdom in this world. If you are a Christian, you are a builder of his kingdom in this world. I know a lot of us have a very, I don't know, like a consumer type of view of God, right? We want God to... Edify us, provide for us, right, to make our lives more bearable in this world. That, that's, most Christians, I think, view God that way, as someone who assists them, right, in, in, in making this world better for themselves. But that's not how the Bible describes the role of a Christian. If you are a Christian, you are part of the builder, you are, you are a builder of the kingdom of God. How does God build his kingdom in this world? He builds his kingdom not through wars and, 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 and armies like he did in Israel's time, but God builds his kingdom through the proclamation of his word. Paul in Ephesians 6 says the weapons that we use against the kingdom of darkness, of rulers, of demons, is, we don't use right flesh and blood means. But the weapons that we use to fight the enemies to build God's kingdom is the word of God. Christians are become kingdom workers as we proclaim God's truth in this world. Embrace, for example, is God's kingdom post in Fairfax Station, Virginia. In this kingdom post, God is, God's kingdom is expanded as our church preaches the gospel to the community. Kingdom of God is not only expanded through the preaching of God's word in the local community through the local church, but kingdom of God is also expanded as we, the church, become healthy, as we build up. So it's like this. God's kingdom is advanced as the local church preaches the gospel and as the local church becomes healthy, becomes built up. Because what's the, like, if we just preach the gospel, and if we're in disarray and in chaos, we're not going to be effective kingdom builders. So God's kingdom work is he, lets, he allows the local church to preach the gospel, and he builds up the local church so the local church will be stronger. Does that make sense? Yeah? Do you make sense? All right. So it is for the sake of God's, expansion of God's kingdom that we must be a healthy church. We must be a church that is being built up. The church doesn't just exist to give you, it's not a product that I give you and you consume and you go on your merry way. That's not how God views the church. The church, in a sense, it's God's people, and yes, God's people are instruments of God for the purposes of expanding his kingdom. How does God allow us, equip us, to be effective kingdom builders? He gives us his word. Through his word, when it's properly preached, communicated, and listened to, our spirits get built up. Right? We, our, our church becomes stronger, it becomes built up through the proper communication of God's word. The church is also built up by God giving individually, all of us individuals here, spiritual gifts. First Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, gives different gifts to each Christian. And the reason why he gives different gifts to each Christian is so that you will use your gift So that we will become strong, so that we will become effective kingdom builders for God. So the purposes of spiritual gifts, whether they be at healings or or, or prophecy or tongues or gifts of administration, whatever gifts that God has given you, we are to use it so that His kingdom will be expanded. So that our church will become stronger, edified, so that his kingdom will become, so that you know his kingdom will, will, will expand in this community. That is why Jesus in the parable of the talents is very harsh to Christians who do not use their talent for the master's work. Jesus is saying any Christian who does not use his talents for the building of the church, for the building of the kingdom of God, God will call lazy and unfaithful. And that Christian will be judged. Jesus is going really hard on that parable. It's because Christians, it is God-designed reality to be that Christians must use their gifts for the expansion of God's kingdom. The church is not just a place of worship, although it is. It is a place where we must mutually edify each other. I'm going to say something really harsh, but so, so let me do it in a very nice way, right, not to offend anyone. What was I trying to say? If you are truly, like, I'm smiling, if you are viewing this place just for the sake of you getting your religion on. And if you're not contributing, then you're not being a faithful steward of what God has given you. And you are are not living in accordance to the will of God. If you think, I'm I'm talking about the Christians, not non-believers. I think there are people who are unbelievers who are watching this, and unbelievers, if you're here, I'm really glad that you're here. But for those of us who are are professing Christians, If you are not working to edify our body, then you are living contrary to the will of God. We are called to edify each other. That is why God has gave you your spiritual gifts. That is why God has given you, one of the main reasons why God has given you your job, it is so that through your job, our church will be edified you are called to edify the body with the gifts that God has given you. The Corinthian church, they were crazy gifted. They were just just blessed with miraculous gifts of the Spirit. Some of them could heal. Some of them could prophesy Some of them could preach and pray in tongues. God has bestowed that church with many blessings, spiritual blessings. But the problem with the Corinthian church is that rather than using their miraculous spiritual gifts to build up the church, they were using their gifts to demonstrate how special they were. They were using their gifts of self-promotion, self-expression, rather than edifying the church. One of the ways in which they were misusing their gifts is a gift of tongues. Some Christians, the Holy Spirit gave them this miraculous gift of speaking and praying in tongues. But the problem is, rather than praying in such a way, that will edify the church. Many of them who who were gifted with this gift were too busy demonstrating that they had this gift to show other people that they had it rather than edifying the church with it. Because they were so preoccupied with demonstrating the gift, church church service in in Corinth was chaotic. People who thought they had the gift of speaking in tongues, they were just standing up and just during service, like, like today. like Let's say you know we have, people are here today and I'm preaching and then suddenly someone just spe- like stands up and starts praying in tongues, all, all of the blue. And then that person sits down and the other person gets up and they start sp- speaking in tongues. It is chaos. Rather than edifying the church through their gifts, they were making the church more chaotic. Paul is rebuking this misuse of the gift of tongues in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is not primarily about the gift of tongues as much as exercising our gifts to edify the church. What well, is the gift of tongues? I think Pastor Woody did a wonderful job describing what it is last week. But as a rehash, right? I think Pastor Wood and I kind of have a little bit of difference in opinion what tongues are, Right? Um, but tongues, in, if you, the word tongue means language, right? So the gift of tongues is a language. It's, it, I don't think it's, it's, you know, like unintelligible babble. I don't think that's what tongues is. When I was in college, I thought I had the gift of tongues. Because every time I, played, I prayed when I was in college, when I was a young foolish man, right, I would pray like this, it doesn't sound like language to me. I think it's just just expression of just words, just like sound coming out of my mouth because I was ecstatic when I was praying. I don't think tongue is like that. I think tongues is a language. It's either it's a language that you have no prior knowledge of, but you start speaking. example that I can give you is there's this uh, charismatic teacher uh, named Ken Fish. And Ken Fish went went in. Like, he was in a large assembly, and he was praying over someone. And as he was praying over someone, he suddenly spoke Yiddish, right? Yiddish is a real language that exists, right? And then after the meeting, someone asked him, "When did you when did you learn how to speak Yiddish?" Because that person knew how to speak Yiddish. He said, "What are you talking about? I never. I don't know how to speak Yiddish." But she's saying, "When you were praying for that man, you were speaking in Yiddish, and I can understand what you're what you're trying to say." So it's, I think tongue is a language. And if you claim to have a gift of tongues, I mean I'm not doubting whether you do or not, but I think it has to, it, it's more, I think it's more biblical to think that it's a language. The Bible says, if I have a tongue of angels, right? And I don't know what tongue, I don't think anyone knows what tongues of angels sound like. But it is a language. It so says the gift of tongue is a language. And I think people in the Corinthian church. God gifted, gifted them with, a, with the ability to pray in a language that they traditionally did not, were, not, were not exposed to. But the problem in them doing so is that when they were speaking language, foreign language, no one could understand what they were talking about. And Paul is saying, in order for you to edify the church, people need to understand what you're praying about. Especially when people are gathered together publicly like this, when fellow Christians are gathered together publicly like this, Paul is saying the most important thing when we're gathered like this is for our ability to understand each other. Because God does, God edifies the church as words are clearly communicated and understood and listened to. God's church is not edified by this feeling of, you know, hysteria. God's church is built up through the clear presentation of the message of God. I'll give you an example. I was at, what, where was I Friday? It's the Arlington Small Group, right? That's what you guys are calling it, right? Or I was at the Arlington Small Group on Friday, right? And we had a prayer time. And, you know, uh, June was praying for me, right? And it's like when, when June was praying for me, I go, oh, I feel so lifted up, right? I felt so uh, not loved, right? What's the word? I felt convicted because June was using words that I could understand. If June started praying over me with a foreign language that I don't understand, I don't think I would have been encouraged. If June was praying over me in a foreign language, I asked June, hey, June, what did you just say to me? And June says, I don't know. How would that encourage me? And how would that encourage June? It won't. Spiritual gifts are important. They're a gift from God. But they must be used to clearly communicate God's will so that we will understand. That is why Paul in verse 6, what does he say in verse 6? What does he say in verse 6, June? In verse 6, Paul says, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Paul is saying, I can pray in tongues for you. But if I don't communicate revelation or knowledge or teaching to you, it's not going to benefit you. Why? Because God has designed us. God has designed our minds and our spirits to be receptive of truth. How, if, you, if you're a Christian, how did you become a Christian? You heard the gospel of Jesus Christ being communicated to you by the language that you know. Most of you were communicating, like, all of you I think, like all of you were communicated. Uh, maybe not some of you, most of you were, 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 were being Christians because God used English to communicate his gospel to you. Some of you are Korean, maybe you became Christian, right? But you were in Korea and someone communicated the gospel to you in Korean, therefore you understood who Jesus Jesus was. Jesus is, who Jesus is. Same Jesus. We all become like followers of Christ because God communicated His gospel in the, in our, in our, in our, in the language of our mother tongue. For those of us who are maturing in the church. I think there's some of us in our church who are maturing nicely. And the common denominator of everyone who's maturing nicely is this. They study the Word of God together. They endure my long sermons. They go to small groups. They read the Bible. And, and, and when they do, they start, to become, they start to bear fruit. I see it over and over and over again. Maturity in our church happens as the Word of God is clearly preached and taught, and learned, and meditated upon. It's because God has designed, the way way we're designed, we're we're designed to be receptive to language. It's not just language that makes you a Christian. It's Holy Spirit empowering the language that, that is being communicated. But the means of which the salvation and and edification happens is the language, it's clearly understood language. That is why Paul says, when Christians are gathered together, if if it's not clearly communicated, then no one's going to be edified. My issue with a lot of the contemporary pray songs is that I think a lot, of, a lot of them are written, not based on truth, but they elicit a response. Some of the lyrics of modern church ch- songs, I don't know what they're talking about. But they write it in a such a fluffy way, using beautiful nonsensical words, and they they put nice melodies to it, and they repeat those nonsensical, flowery language with nice melodies, and they repeat it, they have us repeat it over and over and over again. You notice that? Modern praise songs, you repeat the same words over and over and over again. And the reason I think they do that is because they think if we do that, that's going to elicit a response within us. But Paul is saying, that is not how individuals built up and individuals built up as truth is preached, as truth is prayed, as truth is heard, as truth is sang. That's that's how we're edified. Paul says, edification is so important that if you're gathering together and if if, 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 if people are praying in tongues, and if there's no one to interpret what is being prayed for, Paul is saying that gift of tongue in a public setting is useless. Verse 7, Paul says, If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? In this verse, Paul is saying this. Paul is saying, if the flute or the harp is not tuned, if someone plays a flute or a harp or any musical instrument that is not tuned, then that instrument is not properly making any effective music. Untuned instrument is just meaningless noise. Believe me, I know. I, I, I just am surrounded by music every single day in my house. Really, I know. If there's one thing that I know, is music. And if my wife, when she bangs the piano, if my, if my daughter, when she's playing the violin, if it's out of tune, it will be torture. Paul is saying, praying in tongues without an interpreter in a public setting, is like an untuned instrument. It's just meaningless noise. Verse 8, And if the bugle gives an instinct indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? A bugle is like a horn. Right, that, people, that, that, milit- that the armies use to signify battle. Right? Bum, 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 bum. Charge! And we all go. Right? That's the signal to charge, right? the bugle. Paul is saying, if the bugle is muffled, if the bugle doesn't make proper sound, if no one can listen, understand the sound that the bugle is making, who is going to get ready for battle? No one. A bugle is useless unless it communicates a clear sound. Tongues are useless if it is not used to intelligently communicate the will of God. Verse 10 and 11, These are doubtless, there are doubtless many languages in the world and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. The word speaker here means barbarian. Right? Barbarian, you know those unrefined, brute, like caveman type of like violent people. Those are the barbarians, and they're called the barbarians. Did you know this? It's because they may, like, when they speak, they speak, they speak like this: bar, 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 bar. The language was unrefined. They just spoke. They just speak like meaningless. They just made meaningless noise as as, as language. Paul is saying any uninterpreted tongues in a public setting. It's like barbarians speaking to each other, not communicating properly, chaos, disorder. Once again, Paul is saying any unintelligible prayer, when people are gathered together, if it's not clearly understood what is being prayed for, it is useless. Paul is not diminishing the importance of the gift of tongues. Verse 18, Paul says, Paul thanks God that he prays in tongues more than any other person. Paul in verse 18, he's saying, I have the gift of tongues more than any any lot of you. If there is number one tongue praying person, that would be me. But Paul says, in the public setting, when Christians are gathered, I would rather pray in five intelligible words than pray in tongues when we're gathered publicly. Paul is saying, if I have the gift of tongues, I can exercise that gift. I can speak in a language no one understands if I am by myself. When I'm by myself, praising God, praying to God by myself, I can use this tongue. I can express myself with the, with the gift of tongues. But if people are together, I will pray. I would rather pray with five intelligible words than ten thousand tongues. That is why in embrace, the way we pray—it's not doesn't from the outsider. I don't think it looks very powerful because the way that I'm trying to design a ministry is when, we're, when we when we when two or more people are coming together and praying for one another. I would much rather have us pray for one another in a language that we can all understand rather than you know, praying in a manner that is emotional and ec- ecstatic. But, but people have no idea what, to, what, like, what, what, what we're saying to each other. When I was younger, I thought prayer meeting has to be like, very intense. right? I, I thought prayer meeting has to be long and intense and passionate. When people that get it together. The other. And there's nothing wrong with passion or prayer meetings, but f- with 1 Corinthians 14, I realize this, more important than the passion of the prayer meeting is what is communicated during that prayer meeting. That is why, when we pray for one another, we use words that we can understand to conform to the instruction that Paul gives. Paul, once again, in verse... 12 says, So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Corinthians were, most Corinthian Christians were from a pagan religion, right? They are used to the type of worship where a lot of like, ecstatic things happen. Right, the way you know many cults is that the, way you do, the one of the key defining features of, of cults is cults put a heavy emphasis on seemingly supernatural occurrences. Right, so like you know, one of the cults that I know, they're really into like holy laughter. Right, I think there's part of the psalm that says like I will sing joyf- I will laugh joyfully before the Lord or something. So they take that Bible verse literally. So during church services, everyone starts laughing. Ah, ah, because they think laughing like this is a demonstration that they're close with God. It's crazy. Right? Some other cults I know, they have like healing, healing tunnels where like Pastor Eugene and I will make, you know, hold our hands and make a, make a little tunnel. And if you pass by the, uh, the, the pastor's tunnels, you get naturally healed. So cults, they're really, they're, not, they're not just satisfied with intelligible communication. They want some demonstration of supernatural manifestations similar to the Corinthians. Corinthians, when they were doing pagan worship, right, like they're like the chief temple priest, when they, when they were presiding over worship, they started like t- demonstrating this ecstatic experience. For example, like when they were like leading worship. They go, oh, 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 I feel the power of like, Zeus coming within me. oh, And they were like demonstrating, they were doing some weird things. Because pagans thought that if God was with them, he will surely show signs that, he are, that they are with him through these supernatural ecstatic experiences. And that is why the Corinthian people, when they were speaking in tongues, thought that the fact that they're speaking in tongues is a demonstration that God is with them. And so that is why many Corinthian Christians wanted some form of this kind of supernatural demonstration, out, out, out otherworldly demonstration of God's presence, right? Like the tongues demonstrate. So they really, really wanted that kind of demonstration, that supernatural demonstration that God was with them. Paul in verse 12 is saying, For those of you who are eager for the manifestation of the Spirit, for those of of you who really want some evidence that God is with you, don't strive for those ecstatic experiences, but rather strive to excel in building up of the church. Rather than striving for those spiritual natural occurrences, strive for the ability so that you can intelligibly build up the church. Paul, verse 13 says, Therefore, one who speaks in tongues should pray that he may interpret. So Paul is saying, yes, if you have the gift of tongues, rather than speaking, just asking for the gift of tongues, also ask for the ability to interpret. It's not enough just to have the gift of tongues. You also need the gift of interpretation. Paul, in verse 14 says, For if I pray in a tongue... My spirit prays, but my mind is fruitful. He's saying, if I pray in tongues and use a language that I don't understand, it's not going to benefit my mind. Even if I have the gift of tongues, if I don't understand what I'm praying, my mind's not going to benefit. And if my mind doesn't benefit, how would other people around me benefit? Therefore, if I have the gift of tongues, but not have the gift of interpretation, what does he do? Verse 15, what do I do? What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing, sing with my mind also. He's saying, but the word spirit, he means like emotions. He's saying, if I have the ability to pray in tongues, pray passionately in tongues, but if I don't have the gift of interpretation, I will use that passion that I want to pray in tongues. I will channel that passion into in so that I will so that I will use words so that my mind can understand and so that other people can understand. Rather than just passionately following my gifts, if other people are around me, I will channel that passion into so that I will be able to pray and sing in a way so that so, so that other people can understand me. Because that is the way that other people benefit. Verse 16. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? Paul is saying, let's say you are praying in tongues, but if someone doesn't understand what you're praying, how in the world is he going to say amen to you? What does the word amen mean? Do you know? Amen means... It, it, it means, um, so be it, or it means, I stand on the truth of what is being said. That's what amen means. The word amen is from, like, it, 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 I think it's truth claim. So when you say amen, you're saying, so be it, or I agree with what you are saying. I stand on the truth of what you are saying. How can anyone say amen if they don't understand what you are saying? Paul says, therefore, gifts are great, but when you're gathered together, use it so that other people will benefit. Use language so that other people will know the will of God. I'm making fabulous time. I'm very proud of myself. I'll give myself five more minutes. That is why, because building up other people is so important, Paul, in verse 6, in last week's verse, last week's chapter, Paul is saying, rather than desiring gift of the tongues, desire the gift of prophecy. What is prophecy? Prophecy, for people like John MacArthur, who believe there are no, there are more, there are no more supernatural spiritual gifts. John MacArthur defines prophecy as preaching, as teaching. Uh, John MacArthur is saying, the will of God is complete, is completely revealed to us through the Bible. So John MacArthur is saying, prophecy, modern-day prophecy, is teaching and learning about the Bible. But the problem with this statement is, if prophecy is the same as preaching, then Paul is contradicting himself when he says, everyone should give, strive for the gift of prophecy, which includes women. And we studied before in chapter eleven that Paul does not allow women to be preachers during public gatherings. So if Paul just meant prophecy as teaching, the Bible, then Paul is being inconsistent with his with his teachings. So I think prophecy is more than preaching the God, preaching the Bible. Right. Someone says someone like John MacArthur, John Piper, says prophecy is like it instant message that God gives to a particular situation, right? I think that's what Pastor William referred to last week, like lightning. Like like when you're going along, certainly God reveals some truth to it. I think that's what John Piper is saying. I think that's true, right? But the problem with this (laughs) interpretation of prophecy is that Moses, for example, right, wrote the Old Testament without, I don't think it, it just suddenly came like this, right? Like, he used other sources, to, and, 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 and Moses writing the pen to Genesis is prophecy, right? So it's not just lightning in the bottom. I think that it, it involves, it, it is part of that, it's true. But it's not all of it. What is prophecy? I think I like Alistair Begg's definition of prophecy. Alistair Begg is saying, prophecy is expressing, teaching the will of God. He's saying, and the will of God demonstrates, he's saying, teaching people and dealing with people through the word of God, the will of God revealed in Scripture. John MacArthur is right, the Bible is a full revelation of who God is. And Ezra Begg is saying, what prophecy is, is using the Bible, using God's will during, in the public preaching, right? But also using God's word when we fellowship with one another, to steer each other, right? To st- when we gather, to steer, steer each other in accordance to the revealed will of God. That's what prophecy is. The ability to understand the Bible and to steer people as we go through life together, still steer, steer people's lives based on the revealed word of God. I'll give you an example. My daughter, God bless her, Right? She's having a hard time struggling with learning online, right? And you know she didn't do well in one of those courses that she should be doing, right? And she got a very low grade. And we're used to Caleb, superstar, right? Like you know we got like my 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 wife gets really mad when he got like a B plus, right? Right? Once he got he gave me a ninety six on a math test and I go, hey son, where do the other four points go, right? We didn't have to tell him to study. He has a natural Lee family work ethic that he studied. I didn't have to worry about him, but Charlotte is a different person. And so when she got this grade, I go, what in the world? And I kind of lost my cool. And she became really sad and started crying, right? You know, and then I'm a good dad, right? So, you know, we had, you know, After things calmed down a little bit, at at night, I had a pow-wow with her, right? And I said, baby, you feel horrible because of that grade, right? Yeah. And I think you felt horrible because that grade makes you feel like you're a failure. Yeah. And I said, I think you feel like a failure because you're like, you're a human being. And every human being that I know has a fear of being a failure. And I think every human being has a fear of failing because they know in their heart of hearts that they failed God. Sin, definition of sin is not meeting up to this God's standard. And whether you're a Christian or not, I think all of us know that we are a failure in certain ways. And when we fail in life, that failure in life is just a confirmation of our worst fears that we're a failure. All of us are failures in the eyes of God because we don't meet his holy standards. But God gave us Jesus Christ. And even though we may not meet God's standard, in Christ he accepts us. I'm a good dad. That's prophecy. My daughter felt horrible in what happened to her. But I'm encouraging her but testifying to the revealed will of God in Scripture. Paul says that is how we are to treat one another. Everyone should have the gift of prophecy. Everyone should be able to discern what God's revealed will is in Scripture so that we will help each other, direct each other through the will of God. That is why when you study the Bible, it's not just for your sake that you're studying the Bible. You have to be so well versed in the Bible so that you can be an edification to other people. So if you're not studying the Word regularly, you're not only hurting yourself and your family, you're also hurting the church because if you are not able to guide other people through Scripture, you're not helping. you're not edifying the church. Understand? Paul's emphasis in this chapter is mutual edification of each other through the revealed will of God. Verse 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. The word infant is used to mean immaturity. So Paul says, do not be immature in your thinking, be immature in the way you do evil, right? but be mature in the way you think. Paul is saying, don't be pros at doing evil. Be pros in mature thinking. I think that's a good call for all of us. The Corinthians were the opposite. They were pros at doing evil. Remember? They were suing each other. They were approving horrendous sexual marilyn in the church. Right? They were being divisive. They were being prideful. They were experts in, in, in being evil. But they were immature in their thinking. A lot of them thought, because I have the supernatural gift of tongues or whatever, that I'm mature. Even though I am a pro at doing evil, because I have these spiritual gifts, that makes me mature. Paul says, no! Supernatural spiritual gifts, your talents do not make you mature. Your mature thinking is an indication of your maturity. How do our thoughts become mature? Study the revealed will of God. Build each other up. As you study Build each other up with the words that you know. When uh, when someone needs your help, go to that brother or sister and guide them through their lives based on the word of God. That's how the church matures. That is what, what you and I are called to do for each other. When we build each other up like that, God will use us as mighty instruments for the expansion of His kingdom. If we do not do that for each other, that we are not going to be a powerful instrument for him. Let us pray. Father, we confess, Lord, that we still have a very dangerously immature way of looking at church. A lot of us still believe the church exists for our benefit which it does, Lord. It does exist for our benefit because our spirits and soul live when we, listen, when we worship together and, and, and we become joyous, Lord. We become sane when we are gathering together on, and worshiping together and listening to your word. So there is a sense that it's true. Church exists for our benefit. But it is more than our benefit. Church is also a calling, a calling to mutually edify one another if we are just being fed, and if we are not used for the benefit of others, Lord, we are, become, we are being ineffective servants. We are becoming lazy servants. We are living contrary to your will. Father, it is our prayer that you just do not make us fat babies in the fact that we just consume things and not give. And may, not be, may, may we not be such people. But Father, may we be edifiers of each other. May we speak intelligible words to one another. May we study the Bible not only for our sake, but for the sake of the, our brothers and sisters. Use us as, an encourage, as, a, as instruments of encouragement for one another. I know many of us want to not get involved. And, 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 and this pandemic, Lord, is, is certainly gives us an excuse of not getting involved. This pandemic is certainly giving us an excuse, Lord, of, of shutting people out of our lives. But Lord, that is great sin. That is not living, con- that is not living consistently to your will. Let us not pull away. Let us get, a, get, a, get more involved. But, the, but just being involved is not enough. We need to learn from you every day so that we can share with one another what we learn from you. So may we study your word out of a sense of not only for ourselves but for the love of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, we, as I was, as we a lot of us, even though we're not a big church, much tragedies have happened to our group, to our church in the last this year. There are parents who are diagnosed with incurable diseases. There are, there, 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 are, there are parents who suffered accidents and who are, just, who are recovering. There are, people, there are parents who have passed away, loved ones who have passed away all this year. And we don't know why, Lord, that these things are happening to our congregation. But Lord, we recognize, Lord, that our hope is beyond the corners of this world, that our hope lies with you. So I pray for Olivia and her family. I pray for continual healing upon her mother. May Olivia and Phil be the encouragement to that family. I pray for Songmin's Min's father's healing. I pray that you will heal him. As he goes through different kind of med- like treatments, I pray that you will heal him. I pray that you encourage those of us who have lost loved ones. I pray that you encourage those of us who are unemployed. I pray, Lord, that may the truth of your word, truth of your presence, may you speak to these people so that they will be comforted by your truth. All these things, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.